bring you grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I know you've all been reading your bulletin, so you'll know that uh, starting from this Wednesday, we have a series of Bible studies um, throughout our Lenten time on the theme of Fight Like Jesus, uh, a book written by Jason Porterfield. The subtitle is How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week. And as we work our way through our Wednesdays and our Sundays, we'll reflect on each day, Palm Sunday, Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and how Jesus waged peace instead of war in those days throughout Holy Week when he was here walking on the earth. Uh, so we'll be able to delve into that in quite some detail. Today we're going to start off looking at Palm Sunday with Jesus' triumphant, uh, victorious entry into Jerusalem from the account of Luke. All four gospel readers, uh, sorry, all four gospel writers recorded the events of that day of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Most of them got all of the details the same as each other, but Luke has just some slightly different details at the end that we're going to look at much more closely. I'll go over this bit reasonably quickly because we're all very familiar with the story, aren't we? Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead to find a cult, a cult that had never been ridden. He was very specific about that. Uh, Then when the disciples found that cult and they brought it back to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over the animal. What they were actually doing here is reenacting the beginning of a coronation festival. Whenever a new king, a new Jewish king was crowned, They would find a colt that had never been ridden and he would ride to the coronation uh, festival on that colt. They would throw their cloaks on the the colt to make it easier, softer for him to sit on and that was part of their respect, respecting his majesty and they would uh, accompany him as he rode this colt towards the coronation festival. So for me, the fact that Jesus told them to find him a colt that had never been ridden tells me that he knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was that messianic king that the prophecies had been talking about for thousands of years. Jesus knew the job that was ahead of him. He knew how it was going to unfold. And he knew that he was to come as the saviour of the world. The fact that the disciples threw their cloaks over the animal to help Jesus get on tells me they knew who he was. They recognised Jesus as the messianic king, this saviour who had been promised for so long. Then as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, people were spreading their cloaks on the ground in front of him. They were thanking God, they were praising God in loud voices. They were crying out, God bless the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God. The crowd recognised Jesus as the King who had been promised. And they thanked God for finally bringing this King to them. And they threw their cloaks on the ground in reverence in respect of Jesus, this king, as he rode into town. Albeit that he was riding in on a colt. He was coming in as a king, but not as a triumphal king. We also know that the Jews were expecting a warlord. They were expecting some sort of powerful uh, king to ride in who could overthrow the Romans, who could restore Israel to its previous power. And they were looking forward to this king who would ride in and smite the Romans for them. But instead of riding in on a war horse, Jesus rides in on a colt. He's not a warlord. He's not a king who takes peace by violence. He's a king who brings peace in humility. As he rides on, the Pharisees yell out to him, Command your disciples to be quiet. 
But Jesus answers, I tell you that if they keep quiet, even the stones themselves will start shouting. Jesus knows he's the messianic king. His disciples know that he's the promised king. The crowd knows that he's this promised saviour king. Even nature, even the stones know that Jesus is this king. But the Pharisees don't. The Pharisees don't recognise Jesus as this saviour. The Pharisees don't recognise that he is the fulfilment of these prophecies that they've been studying for so long. And they ignore him and rebuke him. Jesus was indeed filling the prophecy that we know so well from Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Pharisees knew this prophecy. They could have quoted that off by heart, and yet they didn't recognize Jesus for who he truly was. And then we get to those verses that we don't usually hear. They don't actually appear in the lectionary anywhere. But these few verses Luke has in his story, and none of the other gospel writers capture this part of the story. As Jesus comes closer to the city, and when he saw it, he wept over it, saying, If you only knew today what is needed for peace, but now you cannot see it. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem for two reasons. He weeps, he weeps over their blindness. The fact that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes don't recognize him as the fulfillment of this prophecy. They are blind to see Jesus as their saviour king. But he also weeps over the fate of Jerusalem because Jesus knows what's going to happen over the next few decades as the Romans continue to get less and less and less patient with the Jews and with Jerusalem. Jesus explains it. The time will come when your enemies will surround you with barricades, blockade you, close in on you from every side. They will completely destroy you and the people within your walls. Not a single stone will they leave in place because you did not recognize the time when God came to save you. God comes in person, in the person of Jesus Christ, to bring peace, to bring love, to bring forgiveness to be our saviour and the Pharisees did not see it nobody in the powers of the Jewish movement recognised Jesus for who he truly was he came close to the city he says if you only knew today what is needed for peace but now you cannot see it we know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees etc were the experts in the Old Testament law they had all these prophecies they could recite it, they could speak about it, but they didn't know it. This word that uh, Luke uses here for know is that same word that's used for understanding. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament for sexual intimacy between husband and wife. This is not just knowing about something, this is really knowing something. This is being intimate in detail with something. Jesus says, if only you knew intimately who I am. If only you knew intimately who God your Heavenly Father is. If only you knew the actual meaning behind these prophecies and these scriptures that you study so fastidiously. If only you intimately knew the reason that you perform all the rituals and practices that you carry out so perfectly day in, day out, then you might be saved. But you're blind to it. 
You cannot see it. Arguably, they were so wrapped up in their rituals and in their religiosity, they were so, so wrapped up in being religious that they weren't being spiritual at all. They were so wrapped up in doing the things that the Bible told them to do, they didn't actually have a relationship with God. Their relationship, their worship, was with what they did and the righteousness that they believed they earned themselves out of their actions. And they didn't intimately know the one true God who loved them so much, who wanted to give them peace and forgiveness and eternal life, but they could not see it. That passage from Zechariah 9 9 that we hear so often at Christmas time, the very next verse says, This baby, this king that rides in on a colt, he will proclaim peace to the nations. That's his job. He is the Prince of Peace. Had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, etc., known, really known, intimately known, the meaning behind God's prophecies, they could have received the peace that Jesus brings. Zechariah says he will proclaim peace to the nations. We think today, well, the world we live in is still not very peaceful. The, the world they lived in then was not very peaceful. There was still war and unrest, conflict between the nations. But the peace that Jesus proclaims is not the peace between one person and another. It's the peace between each person and God. That intimate relationship that Jesus wants us to foster through him to our Heavenly Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. If we look at how the word peace is used in the Old Testament, it's used over 150 times. Uh, Jeremiah uses it quite a lot. Jeremiah talks about peace. Psalms and Proverbs, the wisdom books, mention peace quite a lot. But Isaiah has a lot to say about peace, or more to the point, God has a lot to say through Isaiah about peace. We know right from the start when God first told Moses to set Aaron up as the high priest, one of the first things he gave Moses to give to Aaron was that blessing that we still use so often. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. God just wants us to live in a peaceful, intimate relationship with him and his greatest desire is to share his peace with us. Isaiah, of course, was the one who predicted, who prophesied about this child being born. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In fact, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus didn't come just to bring some happy feels for us. He came to bring an eternal peace. This is more than just an emotional feeling. This is a place that we can enter into, a place where God is, a place that God has created for us and a place that God wants to share with us. I don't know about you, but I've had some reasonably tragic and, and uh, conflicting times in my life. And I remember still quite vividly some times where I had no idea how I was going to cope with the situation that I was in. And there was a sense of urgency that I needed to get some stuff sorted out real quick. And I remember praying for God's peace and direction, and I felt it wash over me. It was like one of those cartoons, you know, Fred Flintstone or something, where the colour drains out of him. I had that feeling where I could just feel God's peace just gradually take over my body. And it was comforting not because, not just because it was a sense of peace, but it was a sense of God's presence. I knew God was there with me right in that situation. 
and that comforted me and gave me confidence that he would then help me through it, whatever it was. As I said to the children, you know, we hear in the scripture, the peace that is beyond our human understanding is the peace that God wants to give us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he brings that peace to us. Not surprisingly, God also said through Isaiah, there's no peace for the wicked. For those who turn their backs on God, they don't have access to that peace that God wants to share with us. Isaiah is also the one who tells us about the suffering of Christ for our sake. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He carried the entire weight of our sins and our sinfulness. He paid the price for everything we've ever done wrong and everything we ever will do wrong. We were forgiven before we were even born, thanks to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection back to life. By his wounds we are healed, by his wounds we are set free, by his wounds we are made right again with God. Not only does the Old Testament use peace a lot, but not surprisingly the New Testament uses peace quite a lot as well. Luke tells us that when Jesus was first born and the angels visited the shepherds up on the hillside, they were praising God, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. God desires to pour out his peace on us who draw near to him. Jesus, of course, said in John, peace I leave you, peace I give you, but I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. This peace that I give you is like nothing that the world can possibly offer you. This is a heavenly peace, and it's an eternal peace. It's the peace that we find when we draw near to God our Father. Of course, Jesus healed numerous people, and whenever he healed someone, he, he told them, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That was his dismissal to them, that they might go and live in the peace of the Lord. And when he entered into a situation where there was fear or conflict, his first greeting was, peace be with you, as he poured out God's peace on those around him. In fact, the most common phrase in the Bible, there's a lot of argument about how many times it's used, but apparently the, uh, the phrase, don't be afraid, is used in the Bible somewhere between 100 and 300 times, depending on how you count it. That's a big range. But uh, it's the... the God says to his people in various different ways, don't be afraid, he wants to bring his peace. So today, what does that mean to us today? God still wants to share his peace with us and we live in a world that's full of turmoil, don't we? There's all sorts of conflict. Not only are there nations at war with other nations, but there are people at war with other people. And even in our own lives, from time to time, there is unrest I went looking for some Australian statistics about some of the, the things that are going on in Australia and I found that the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, did a national study of mental health and well-being over the 2020 to 22 period and they published those results in October last year. So I'm going to share a few statistics. If you find any of these uh, statistics or concepts particularly disturbing, then please stop me. But they're just numbers. They found that more than two in five Australians, over 40% of people aged between 16 and 85, have experienced a mental disorder in their lifetime. And one in five, over 20% of people, experienced a mental disorder in the previous 12 months to the time that the survey was taken. They found that anxiety was the most common group of mental disorders in 20 to 22. And more than one in six, 17% of people, had an anxiety disorder such as social phobia or post-traumatic stress disorder in the 12 months leading up to the survey. 
uh, Meredith was only telling me in the break between services that um, she was reading something the other day that's, that defined anxiety as being the body's response to uncertainty, which to me makes a whole lot of sense. In the times in my life where I didn't know what was going to happen next, they were definitely the most stressful times of my life. Even when I found out that something bad was going to happen, at least I knew and I could prepare for it. But it's the times of uncertainty that really got me and did my head in. So I'm not at all surprised by these statistics, particularly seeing as they were captured. They don't claim the pandemic to be a particular factor, but obviously uh, they were capturing statistics for the period when the pandemic was at its highest. So I'm sure it played some sort of part. They found that 7.5% of people had an affective disorder, such as depression, or 33 had a substance use disorder over that period of time. And the data showed that around 1.1 million young adults aged 16 to 24 experienced a mental disorder in the previous 12 months. Massive numbers, just in Australia. Almost half of young females and a third of young males in that 16 to 24 age group had a mental disorder in that period with anxiety disorders again being the most common. And nearly three in five people, almost 60%, who identified as gay, lesbian or bisexual or used a different term to describe their sexual orientation had a mental disorder in that previous 12 months, whereas about 20% of people identified as heterosexual had a mental disorder in that same period. Lots and lots going on. And of course, that's just the, the uh, Australian statistics from that particular survey. Uh, I couldn't find any Australian numbers, but I've found several American surveys who also talk about the pandemic of loneliness. Even though social media is rife and social media is great in all sorts of, uh, all sorts of contexts, but people don't make real friends through social media. And there are people who are finding that when they need someone to turn to, they actually can't identify anybody that they can turn to. And some Barna statistics from the States suggested that 80% of, of uh, young adults between about 15 and 25 said that they had no one to turn to. They couldn't identify anybody. And the uh, stats were even higher than that in the younger age groups, between about 10 and 15. Really, really sad that these people don't know of anybody that they can rely on, that they can turn to, that they can uh, put their trust in or they can ask for help or support or encouragement. Jesus says to us, if only you knew today what is needed for peace. But in his word now, perhaps you can see it. If we turn to God's word, Chronicles, I think, is a good place to start. Where God tells us, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. Other translations say, I'll bring revival, I'll bring renewal, I'll bring peace. So I think for us, it's up to us to look inside ourselves, to draw near to God, to, to look for that intimate relationship that Jesus is talking about, to really know God, to know his word and have a personal relationship with him, to be able to seek his face, to be able to turn from anything that keeps us from God, but then to be able to reach out into our community. We all know that our community here is expanding at a rate of knots. There are people coming in who are looking for community. They're looking for connection. They're looking for places to meet people. And we have an opportunity to provide those sort of services to them. So I encourage you to pray about that and see where God might be leading you. Uh, if you have any ideas to let me know of how we can serve our community, how we can reach out, how we can make connections, 
and how we can bring other people in contact with God's love and his word so that they too might come to know his peace and they might be able to develop also their own intimate relationship with God. As you do that, as you meditate on that, as you seek God's will, I pray the peace of God, which is beyond our human understanding, keeps your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.